0: Friends, and welcome back to the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. This time, we're going to be discussing an absolutely groundbreaking arcade game. On this show, I will be talking about 1978's Space Invaders. Pong Pac-Man, and Donkey Kong are among the few arcade games that are generally considered to be groundbreaking, just like Space Invaders. While I vaguely recall playing Atari's Pong, and even the likes of Computer Space, I can remember the first time I saw a Space Invaders cabinet. Obviously, since it was released in 1978, it wasn't at that fabled showbiz pizza I'm always talking about. In fact, it didn't hit North America until 1979. No, this time, The place I encountered the game was at a local skating rink. It was a Saturday afternoon, and my father had just paid for our admission. We lined up with the others to get our skates, and near the snack bar area were a group of kids. Around my age, perhaps just a little older. That is when I heard something above their excited babble. we had received our skates, my father and myself went to sit down near the rink. We had to pass by the snack bar, and that is when I first saw Space Invaders. Not the actual screen, mind you, since the throng of kids blocked my prying eyes. No, I saw my first side art for a video game. Two hairy, red and black aliens with angry wide eyes holding what looked like inverted ICBM missiles ready to hurl them down at the unseen player below. It cost me a moment's pause because it looked like they were looking right into me with all of the malice in those wide eyes. Honestly, in my youth, I didn't realize they were furry. I thought they were supposed to be made of pure electricity. Here's the part where I get to tell you how it felt to play my first game of Space Invaders that day. Except it didn't happen. The crowds around the machine never thinned out enough for me to get a chance, and it was hard to concentrate on my skating, I can tell you that. I was just itching to see what the other kids were playing. As I just mentioned a little bit earlier, I had played other video games before, but they definitely looked like they were having the best time of their lives, and I wanted to join in. Finally, calling it a day, I was all but dragging my feet as we headed towards the exit, hoping that, Somehow, the groups of kids would disperse and allow me a chance to see the screen. Finally, my father realized something was up. No, he wasn't able to get me up front to play or anything like that. But he did hoist me up on his shoulders so I could watch a few minutes of an older boy playing the game. Friends, as soon as I saw the action on the screen, I was hooked. It was all I could talk about on the way home. Honestly, I was rambling and talking a mile a minute just like I had after seeing Star Wars the previous year. It wasn't until the next week that I was able to play it myself. In fact, my father took me on a weekday after work, figuring that it would be less busy. And he was right. I do not actually recall getting onto the rink that day. I just burned through my father's pocket of change playing Space Invaders. After that, I was doodling the Space Invaders on scratch paper, notebooks, napkins. It was pretty evident that I had been hooked. Which was okay, because I was far from being the only one, judging by the amount of Space Invaders machines that began to pop up everywhere. Gas stations, pizza restaurants, and grocery stores. Like a precursor to Pac-Mania, Space Invaders was everywhere. Even the radio. Well, there it is in the corner of the bar. I tried to run, but I didn't get far. Those weird little men, I'll blow them away. I'd sell my mom for a chance to play. He's hooked, he's hooked, his brain is cut. He's hooked, he's hooked, his brain is cut. They start off slow, but they don't play clean. It's tricky and low, it's a mean machine. There's lots of them and one of you. When the walls are gone, they'll get to you. Cut. He's hooked, he's hooked, his brain is cut. Space Invaders. Space Invaders. That was Space Invaders by Uncle Vic. Nice name. who was really Victor Earl Blackman, a DJ for WGCL in Cleveland. In addition, Victor was also a musician and nightclub owner. His hit novelty song, by the way, was actually released in 1980. But, bear in mind that Space Invaders was released through Midway in 1979. It takes a while to infect pop culture, but it certainly did, friends. You could find Space Invaders on beach towels, t-shirts, handheld games, and even Avon soap containers that resemble the laser bases the player uses in the game. But in the spirit of full disclosure, I don't believe this is an official product. Of course, there was what you might call the First Killer app when Atari began packaging it with their Atari VCS home consoles. More on that later, though. Because, in 1977, obviously no one knew how popular Space Invaders was going to be. Certainly not its creator, Tomohiro Nishikado. Tomohiro was an engineer with Taito, who, of course, developed and produced Space Invaders, releasing it in Japan in 1978. Nishikado actually got his start with the company back in 1969. And then in 1972, developed a game entitled pong short for Electric Pong. And yes, it was totally a copy of Atari's hit game. In 1974, he delivered Speed Race, a top-down racing game that not only had a steering wheel, appropriate since it's a racing game, but also a shifter, a gas pedal, an LED speedometer, and an analog tachometer. In 75, he created the cowboy-themed shooter Western Gun, followed by 1976's Interceptor, an aircraft shooter that featured a cockpit view of a jet fighter. Tomohiro had originally envisioned the game to be called Space Monsters, but it didn't start out as being about space. Nishikado, in a 2009 interview with USA Today, which was the then 30th anniversary of the original game, stated, quote, Early on in development, Space Invaders was designed as a game where you shoot people, airplanes, and tanks. However, the characters' movements didn't really look or feel like tanks or airplanes. When Taito saw the prototype, they said, You can't shoot people, and you must not create the image of war. So I changed the characters into monsters. Quote. In that same interview, Tomohiro revealed that the trappings of the game being space-themed was due to a little movie called Star Wars. He said, quote, at the time, I was trying to decide what the focus would be, and had heard of a sci-fi movie being produced in America called Star Wars. I thought a space fad might be on the way, and decided to focus on aliens. And that's how the monsters became the invaders that are known today. End quote. My fellow arcade addicts, I will be sure to post a link to that interview on the Retroist post for this episode. Apparently, he was also inspired by H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. In fact, if you look closely, you can definitely see one of the invaders resembles the Martians of that book. But in addition, Nishikado looked to the creatures of the sea to find inspiration for the other invaders. Going so far to say, his favorite design is the one that looks like a crab. Tomohiro has also said that he was sort of inspired by Atari's breakout. In an interview with The New Yorker in 2013, he stated, quote, I was determined to come up with something that was even better than Breakout. My take was that the appeal was due to the sense of accomplishment and exhilaration involved in destroying a set number of targets, and then moving on to a new level. I felt I could improve upon this by giving the targets a more interesting shape and turning it into a shooting game." Quote. Now, some arcade historians feel that he took the multi-level wall aspect of Breakout and replaced it with Space Invaders 5 Row of Invaders. Now remember I said he started the game in 1977. As it turned out, the real hurdle to overcome seems to have been the hardware of the time. The engineer had to develop a microcomputer that could handle the game. He's gone on record saying that he had to build one from scratch. Even then, Tomohira wasn't able to get color in the game. So... In a moment of genius, they decided to put strips of orange and green cellophane on the screen itself, naturally giving the illusion of color. With the addition of a painted plastic moonscape, and with the use of a blue-black light to light up the starry sky backdrop, the game is reflected off of a mirror giving it depth, a real 3D feel. Then, of course you have that wonderful bass-thumping sound of the invaders themselves. The sound was achieved thanks to a Texas Instruments SN-76477 sound chip. The sound design was one of the few areas that Nishikaru didn't handle. That was responsible to another co-worker at Taito. But it, too, is an important part of why Space Invaders was so legendary. That rhythmic thumping. That Tomohiro requested to mimic the human heart has a subtle way of drawing you into the game. And when you're picking off those invaders and it starts to speed up, you can't help but start to feel your own pulse beat quicker too. The reason for that, as it turns out, is the processor was kicking the invaders into overdrive the fewer the invaders that were being displayed. Nishikado discovered this effect, of course, and instead of trying to find a way to compensate it, he decided it added to the challenge of the game and left it in. Can't tell you how many times I've lost my laser bases to that one single invader zipping across the screen, my shots just barely missing it. Space Invaders was definitely a hit in Japan when it was released there in 1978. So much so, it started a rumor that the country had to manufacture more yen to keep up. This is a rumor that has long since been debunked, but it still makes the circuit. Space Invaders' popularity in Japan not only surprised Taito, but its creator. Much like how a year later, Space Invaders would start popping up in places like grocery stores, bowling alleys, and movie theaters, the popularity of it in Japan found owners of pachinko parlors clearing out their stock and replacing it solely with Space Invader cabinets. Furthermore, the game's popularity has also been rumored to have caused a spike in delinquency of Japanese students. There's even reports back in the day of children stealing yen by gunpoint to feed their space invaders habit. As much as I loved space invaders, at least I didn't turn to a life of crime to get my fix. Friends, I realize this episode has been a little different. Normally I try to present a short bio of the developers before diving into the gameplay. But let's be honest, space invaders is rather simple, right? 1-2 to players taking alternate turns must stop a relentless descending horde of space invaders from reaching the bottom of the screen and ending the game. The invaders, numbering 11 across and 5 rows down, march slowly at first to the right and upon reaching the edge of the screen, drop down and reverse direction to the left, doing so until they've wiped out your laser bases with their shots or one lands on the ground. Players control their laser bases using not a joystick, but a left and right button. By way of offense, you have a fire button to launch a single shot at a time at the attackers above. With the invaders popping like a balloon if hit. If your shot happens to connect, with an invader's shot coming down, they will cancel each other out. In terms of defense, you have four bunkers to hide under when avoiding return fire from the invaders, but these get slowly chipped away by the attacks. Or, if your own shots hit them, if the invaders manage to get to the bunkers, they will just wipe them out as they come in contact with the defenses. Of course, you can shoot your own bunker as an advantage, at least in the early levels, literally staying in the middle under a bunker and shooting straight up, finding yourself mostly protected from the enemy fire while your shelter takes the brunt of the attacks. This was definitely the favorite strategy of my youth, although as the stages progress, those bunkers are going to get torn down, and you will just have to avoid enemy fire by dodging left and right for as long as you can especially considering that with every other new stage, the invaders will spawn one level lower than before. A good strategy is to peek out just enough from under a bunker to be able to launch your shot upwards without hitting your defenses itself. Although, be careful, because while you might not be a big target now, the enemy's shots can still reach you. In addition to the invaders, at random times, a spaceship will travel across the top of the screen. Hitting this UFO will score you some bonus points, but it doesn't pose a threat. So obviously, if you're getting bombarded by the invaders, it's not the best approach to risk getting hit to earn said points. Which can be anywhere from 30 points to 300. As for scoring, Space Invaders is one of the simplest we've covered. The first two bottom rows are worth 10 points each, with the two above netting you 20 points each, and then the final roll at the very top, earning you 30 points apiece. Since staying alive and wiping out the invaders to advance to the next stage is your primary concern, scoring might not be that important in the end. Unless you want to be a high score holder. Which is how Eric Furrer in 1980 racked up 1,114,000 points by playing it for 38 hours and 30 minutes straight rolling the machine 111 times, all at the tender age of 12. To be fair, it's been said that every three hours he was allowed a bathroom break. A pause function had been added to the machine. Still, think about that. A 12-year-old playing Space Invaders for that long. It's been reported that he literally passed out after the 30-minute mark on hour 38. It's been said he still had three lives remaining at the point he collapsed. Obviously, this was a world record. And one of the reasons for his high score was a technique of shot counting. That would be named the furrer trick, and it goes like this. Once the new level begins, start counting the shots from your laser base. After you've fired 22 times, doesn't matter if it hit anything, stop shooting and wait for the UFO. Use your 23rd shot to hit that spaceship, then start counting shots again. This time count only to 14. Use your 15th shot to hit the UFO and then continue using the 14 shot rule until the level is finished. Rinse and repeat at the beginning of each level. Start with the 22 shot rule, then use the 14 shot rule to finish that wave. That counting trick I should add will make sure that every single time you hit the UFO it will net you 300 points. For what it's worth, you can earn an extra laser base at 1,000 or 1,500 points, depending on the settings for the cabinet. You will receive one extra life, and unlike later arcade games, you will receive no more additional lives after the first one. Definitely a reason that the game is rather difficult after the first few levels. It's been reported that in Japan alone, by the closing of 1978, Taito had shipped out over 100,000 Space Invaders arcade cabinets, netting the company over $600 million in profit. It's been said that by 1980, the company had sold over 300,000 cabinets with an additional 60,000 machines to the United States. Which, I might add, cost around $2,000 to $3,000. I assume that you got a price cut if you purchased more than one at a time. Not sure about that, but it does make sense. This doesn't even take into account the cocktail and numerous bootleg copies of the game. Which is why, in 1981, Space Invaders had swallowed up $1 billion worth of quarters here in the States. Bear in mind that, at that point in time, Pac-Man had already made a splash. That should tell you the impact of Space Invaders. It was still drawing in the players, even while the likes of more advanced games had been made available. Battlezone. Missile Command. Centipede, Berserk, Crazy Climber, Wizard of War, Warlords, just to name a few of the classic games that had made the scene in 1980 alone. Now, Pac-Man would become an even bigger hit, but one of those reasons might have to do with the legendary yellow icon being a more easily marketed mascot, which I think is also why you saw Pac-Man being used so much more in merchandising compared to Space Invaders. But it's not like Space Invaders has ever truly been replaced. Like I mentioned a bit earlier, its packaging as an exclusive cartridge with the Atari 2600 has been called the first killer app, for good reason. It was not only the first officially licensed arcade game, but it heavily increased the sales of the Atari 2600, or VCS, with some estimates stating that the home console sold four times as many units when Space Invaders was packaged with the system. It sold over two million cartridges in its first year, not only making Atari a ton of money, but being the first cartridge to sell over a million copies. Now, you might be thinking that Pong was the first officially licensed arcade title, but when released on the Atari in 1977, it was known as Video Olympics. Space Invaders has been ported to nearly every popular home console and personal computer in history, and continues to spawn remakes and sequels today. In 2017, a redemption game, you know, where you get tickets for prizes, was released entitled Space Invaders Frenzy. Heck, the upcoming Ready Player One film that debuts the evening that this podcast is being released has nods to the classic game. At least the trailer does, as it shows the creator of the Oasis the movie's fictional virtual reality setting in the future, wearing a Space Invaders t-shirt. Since the character of James Donovan Halliday, played by Mark Rylance, grew up in the 80s, it makes sense he would be a huge fan of Space Invaders. And I'll be shocked if the film doesn't include other references to the legendary game. And now, these messages... Out here we entertain ourselves at home, so we got an Atari video game. There's so many different games to play. We especially like Space Invaders, zapping those little devils from outer space. It's fun, but personally I think the whole idea of creatures from outer space is a little far-fetched. No other company offers you as many different video game cartridges as Atari. Well, this is what you've been asking me for over the last few months. The Atari video game and Space Invaders. Thanks, Dad. Let's see how long that keeps you immune. <laughs> Discover the new Atari video computer system. Forty-five cartridges containing over 700 challenging, absorbing and educational games. Dad, I'm beginning to get a bit bored with this. Typical. You never stick with anything long. Let's get him to leave, <laughs> telephone bunny take a message please no one can say no to quick say bunny want some quick great i'll get it i've got it oh quick is so rich and thick and milk chocolatey <laughs> that was good oh since you're not playing nestle quick chocolate flavor no one can say no to quick Space Invaders can be seen in more than just Ready Player One. 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High featured the game, as well as the 1987 cult classic Cherry 2000. 1991's Terminator 2 had a Space Invaders Deluxe in the film, and recently, 2015's Pixels, the movie based on the 2010 short film, featured the Invaders causing havoc. In my opinion, though, the best appearance of the classic icons was in the 2002 episode of Futurama entitled Anthology of Interest 2. Invaders? Possibly from space! People of Earth, I am Lur of the planet Nintendo 64. Tremble in fear at our three different kinds of ships. We're losing ships, sir. What are your orders? Increase speed, drop down, and reverse direction. Of course, one of the most popular ways to see Space Invaders these days besides the arcade, is thanks to the French urban artist who goes by the name of Invader, creating mosaic artwork all over the globe. Not just Space Invaders, mind you, but many iconic 8-bit characters. In 2011, it has been reported the artist had placed 2,692 Space Invader mosaics in over 77 cities. To date, 19 Invasion maps have been printed if you wish to see where they are located yourself. Here at the Arcadia Retrocade, thanks to Shay Mathis' brother, who went on a buying trip, we received Space Invaders a little over a year after we had first opened the doors to the arcade. Shay's brother had to drive through a rainstorm. Naturally, he stopped and made sure to cover it up with plastic tarps to ensure the cabinet wouldn't get damaged. The truth of the matter is, the change in temperature caused the metal plate that contains the controls to the game to become damp. After wheeling the game in, in our excitement, we plugged the game up, As soon as I placed my hands on the plate, it caused me such an absolute shock that my hand went numb. And truthfully, I was rocked back on my feet. The only time I've been shocked worse was with Konami's Sunset Riders. I noticed the bezel was missing and pointed it out, stupidly placing my finger against the monitor. And I was literally knocked onto my backside from that shock. I've kept an incredibly respectful distance from all the machines since, letting John Munkus, Shay, or our newest tech, Adam Jenkins, do what needs to be done. And friends, I think that about brings us to the end of the Space Invaders episode. Honestly, I could probably go on and on about this title, but I think you've got the gist of what makes it so very special. You can find out more about the Arcadia Retrocade by visiting Facebook, or you can check out the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast Facebook page, where I share all manner of vintage arcade and home console fun multiple times a day. If you have any feedback or comments about the podcast, you can always reach me on Facebook, or throw me an email at vicksage at com. You also can often find me posting videos of the arcade on my Instagram account, which is simply Vic Sage. I, of course, want to thank The Retro List, not just for hosting the show, but for providing a spot on the internet where you can visit throughout the week to find some of the best retro-related articles and podcasts. The Diary of an Arcade Employee is available on iTunes, so if you have a moment, why not help us get the word out on the show by leaving a review and some comments. Until next time, have a token on me as you hear a clip from the subject of a future episode. I was playing this game, see, down at a local pub. When someone came up to me, you know, he, he gave me a shove. He had, like, two long arms sticking out of his ears. You know, uh, I thought I must have had too many beers, you know. It was a short fat green thing, just, just like a space invader. Short fat green, fat green thing, just like a space invader. Short fat green thing, just like a space invader. Sure feet. looks strange to me. What's it! I've been there all night and i spent all my doubt. And I still haven't got me on the second row. Yeah. I looked at the figure you know. I heard him say. Oh, well, man, I guess this just isn't your day. I am a short-run free thing. You're going and better. This has been a Retro-Us production. Thank you for listening, and have a better one. Goodbye. End of line.